Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders for the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I would like for each of us to pause just for a moment and be certain that we are focusing our undivided attention upon God, the very one who spoke this world into existence. Think about the one upon whom our very being depends. How can we possibly know what such a being wants and expects of us? Think about God. He is way up there somewhere, figuratively speaking, and we are way down here. God is the one in control. There is no way that we can know his will for us unless he reveals it. Turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we find Paul writing these words, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The illustration Paul used is simple. I know my innermost thoughts, but those standing right next to me do not know them unless I reveal them. Thus Paul wrote, Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. He continued on and told us that his Spirit has revealed these things. This is how we come to know the mind of God. There has to have been, and there was, a self-revelation from God. There is a passage that comes to mind just now, and it is Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20. It so profoundly says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. My friends, God is on his throne. He is in his proper position. Everyone should be silent before him and listen. Truly, that is what we are when it comes to knowing the mind of God. We are listeners. He has done the talking. Now, I have entitled this episode, Since God Has Spoken, What Then?, and I want all of us to consider what that truth means. In other words, what are the consequences since God has spoken? What are the ramifications? Do we really believe that God has revealed himself? Do we really believe that there is some way you and I, all of us, can come to know what God wants us to know? Now, most religious people who believe in Jesus would say, Oh, yes, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. That kind of statement tumbles rather easily out of the mouth of many. It doesn't take much to say it, but it takes a great deal to apply it. Since God has spoken, think of the incredible responsibility that places upon each one of us. Since the maker of the universe has revealed his will so that I can learn even a part of what he would have me to be and what he would have me to do, what then? Many things are revealed that I will never know. 
I will keep working and working at it, and if I die an old man, there will still be things I do not understand. But whatever I do understand places me under tremendous obligation. God is saying, this is what I want. Since God has spoken, there are many things that simply have to be true. In the first place, God would have revealed his will to us in a way that we can understand. That is just good, old, plain common sense. God had to have used some method of communication that enabled his message to come through. He chose to do it through the written word. The New Testament was written primarily in Greek, the most common language of the day in which it was revealed. And it was written in Kone Greek, the language of the common man and woman. No matter when or how a message was given, translations of that message would be needed some 2,000 years later for it to be understood. This is no charge against God. Languages change over time. The truth is, God chose the best time in history in a language that was essentially frozen by virtue of a change in cultures and the common man's language at that. He was careful to give us his words so that down through the years, as they are translated and kept up to date with the common man's language, we can understand what he said. Let's look at a few passages that clearly indicate that what has been written down was done in such a way that we can understand it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, we find, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter is saying, I have some things that I want you to know. I realize that I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here much longer. After I am gone, I want you to have these things always in remembrance, even though I'm not with you. Well, turning to the third chapter of Second Peter, looking at verses 1 and 2, we find, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter, how are you going to arrange it so that after you were dead and gone, individuals could know the things you wanted them to know and remember the things that you wanted them to remember? Peter wrote these words he received by revelation in order that they could be remembered and called to mind even after Peter was gone. It is interesting that many people today believe that the common man cannot understand God's word unless some ecclesiastical hierarchy tells them what it means. The truth of the matter is that what Peter said he had written in order to be understood can be understood. Turning to Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, we find a very well-known passage. There Paul wrote, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. By his grace, God had revealed something to Paul, and Paul had given it to the Ephesians. 
The fact that the word mystery is used means that there was a time when these things were not known, but they are now. Paul essentially told that God had given these things to him, and he had written them so that they could be understood. Paul wrote, I understand by God's revelation of the mystery to me, but you can understand it by reading what I have written. Think about it. Paul said we could understand. Peter said we could understand. John said we could understand when he wrote in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. The point is, the Bible itself says that it was written so that it could be understood. Down through the years, great care has been taken to preserve what God wants us to know. Long after Peter, Paul, John, and all other contributors to God's word are gone, we can know the message God gave to them to pass on to us through what is written. We can understand. Secondly, since God has spoken, and since what he has communicated to us is in the written pages of his word, we must approach his word correctly. In order to be understood, God's word must be approached objectively. Let's explain briefly the difference between an objective and a subjective approach. In a subjective approach, I go by my feelings ultimately. If I feel like it is right, or if a little voice inside of me tells me that something is right, then that makes it right. I understand that as an oversimplification, but a subjective approach depends upon my background, what I was taught as a child, where I lived, the kind of influences that surrounded me. All of these things and more are involved. But that is not the way to understand the Word of God. Understanding the Word of God requires an objective approach, a looking outside of oneself, and that is not always the easiest thing to do. Every one of us has had our thinking colored by our backgrounds. For instance, I grew up here in Cincinnati. This is where I went to parochial grade school and high school. I was deeply involved in sports with highly competitive coaches. Cincinnati is where I went to college. I had good parents who did their very best to train me and teach me what they thought was right. I grew up, as everyone has, under a peculiar set of circumstances and they affected me. But the time comes when a person must learn to look outside of self and go back to the, the rule book. The time comes when I have to accept what God has said regardless of what my background might have been. The time comes when I must simply ask, what does the Bible say? And that is what I mean by an objective approach. If we are to understand the word of God the way Paul, Peter, John, and all the other writers intended that we should, we simply must learn to be humble in our approach and be able to pull self down and say, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I have to learn to just be quiet and let God tell me what he wants me to know. Since God has spoken, I am simply a recipient of that message. I must listen to him through his word. The Bible is filled with examples urging us to approach God's word objectively. Let me give you just one example of many. In Matthew 13, Jesus taught the parable of the sower. Let's pick up in verse 10 where the parable has come to a close. 
we find, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. However, earlier in verse 9, Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. Was the Lord now saying that there are those totally incapable of hearing? Did he say, I want you to get this and then make it impossible for some to do so? No. And he explained why some would not understand in verse 15 of Matthew 13. Jesus said, For heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. There are times when people do not get what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying, or what Peter is saying, or what John is saying, simply because they have already made up their minds ahead of time what they want to hear and believe. We must be objective and not subjective in our approach to God's Word. We must not allow our previously held ideas and concepts to prohibit us from understanding what God is saying. Since God has spoken, there is another point that logically follows. The way we treat his message is how we treat God himself. Think about that. Since God has spoken, since God really has said something, since God delivered his truth through his chosen apostles and prophets and then told us that we can understand it, the way I treat his message is the way I am treating God. I want you to see this borne out in James 2. In James chapter 2, beginning with verses 8 and 9, we find the understanding that James has been writing about prejudice, about respect of persons. In verses 8 and 9, we find, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It is obviously wrong to be prejudiced in the way that James describes it. But he goes further and writes in verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. That statement can perhaps be a bit confusing. If you steal, does that mean you are guilty of murdering someone as well? If you murder someone, does that mean you are guilty of adultery? Certainly that doesn't make sense. But then James gives the answer. We'll start again in verse 10, but add 11. This time, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. The word for, with which James begins verse 11, tells us that he is explaining what he has just written. Here then is his point. God gave every one of those laws, such as you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill. God has spoken. Now if a person looks over these laws and decides, well that one shouldn't be a law, I don't want to keep it, or this should not be a law, I don't want to keep that one, or this law is really not very important, not only is that person showing great disrespect for the law, he or she is showing gross disrespect for the one who gave the law. That is his point. Consider it again. 
For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. James used two examples. Then he wrote, Now if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. That is where the emphasis belongs. We are to be judged by the law. We are not a judge of the law to select that portion of the law that we desire to keep and reject that portion that we do not. If we become a judge of the law, we become a judge of him who gave the law in the first place. When God has spoken whatever he has said, we are to be judged by it. We are not judges of it. James wrote in James chapter 4 and verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. We have no business being a maker of laws or a judge of the law. As James wrote in verse 12 of chapter 4, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? There is one lawgiver. That is legislative authority, and God has all legislative authority. The one who is able to save and to destroy. That is administrative authority, and it is also in the hands of God. But who are you who judge your neighbor? That is judicial authority, and it too is in the hands of God. What right have we to be judges in this matter? God is the one to whom we must look. We must be subject to God, for we will be judged by the words of God. Truly, the way we treat the words of God show how we treat God himself. There's so much more we could say on the subject of since God has spoken, what then? But there's one last point I want to make. Since God has spoken, what he has said is of utmost importance. There is nothing more vital to man. There is nothing more truly elemental than the importance of heeding what God has said. We must openly, objectively, and humbly place ourselves before him as those who will be judged by him through his word, and we must pay attention. We'll close by reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Simply stated, there is no more important truth in and for our lives than the truth of God. It was given to guide us here and to secure our salvation eternally. It is complete, as pointed out in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It is final, as we are told in Jude 3. It cannot be added to or taken away from. Surely Revelation chapter 22 verses 18 and 19 makes that point. And consider James chapter 1 verses 21 and 22. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. My friends, God has spoken. I hope that these words have been helpful for you today. Thanks for listening.